and welcome to GEC Important Talks. This is a podcast series presented by the team at Global Education Connection, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing children who are affected by conflict or natural disasters with resources like educational materials and art supplies. As a part of this podcast, we want to talk about important topics related to children, their human rights, and their education. Of course, neither of us is an expert on these topics. We speak only to our knowledge, personal experiences, perspectives, and opinions, but there are many credible online sources for further information. Today, we have myself, Catherine Slaughterback, and... Adudak. As your hosts. And today, we're going to be uh, giving you a kind of this week in U.S. um, government, because there has been a lot that has happened over the last week. But before we get into that, uh, here's a little bit about our business sponsorship program. Yes. So we have a business sponsorship program for Global Education Connection. It's a way for local businesses, state, and also uh, national businesses. If they would like to continue to support the work that we do, um, we offer sponsorships where we advertise on our website as well as on our social media platforms. Uh, Feel free to reach out to us on our website or you can email us um, or you can also reach out on our social media platforms. Um, But it's a great way you can get tax deductible donation uh, for your business. And um, it'll be a way to support the work that we do. So thank you. Yeah, thank you all so much. And stick around to the end of the episode to hear more about how you can help support us, like our shop, our coloring book, and Giving Tuesday. Yes. So first up on the list of things to discuss um, was that the Supreme Court just adopted a new ethics code. Um, This is kind of a big deal because previously there had kind of been one off the books, but it hasn't actually been like written down, um, and they finally came together and wrote one, um, and it seems to have divided a lot of people on how to feel about it. Yeah. This is a fairly, um, th- this issue has come to light recently because um, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, um, it became known through some investigative reporting that uh, he accepted more vacations and gifts um, from certain benefactors than had been previously um, reported. They are reported. To, they are required to report um, certain gifts, but it's it's kind of strange the process of how it operates um, up until this point because it was a little bit under the discretion of of the justices. Um, so there's an article from NPR. Um, And it says that the conservative justice who has come under scrutiny for his failure to disclose such gifts took at least 38 vacations, 26 private jet flights, eight flights by helicopter, a dozen VIP passes to sporting events, as well as stays at luxury resorts in Florida and Jamaica. Um, This was reported by a nonprofit news uh, news report and then also ProPublica notes that Thomas appears to have broken the law by failing to disclose flights, cruises and sports tickets. Um, So a lot of this has has come to light because of this investigative reporting, which is why we are hearing about it in the news. And like Catherine said, um, there was the new ethics code that has been adopted this week. Yeah. And, you know, um, Justice Thomas obviously isn't the only justice who has accepted gifts. Um, I know Justice Alito has in the past and other um, judges have at least accepted book deals um, that have contributed to that. Um, It's just Thomas is getting the most attention about this because of the investigative um, reporting that took place after his wife um, helped work to overturn the 2020 election. 
um, and other issues that have been brought to light about him and the work that he and his wife do. Um, so that's kind of why we're hearing all about this in regards to him. That doesn't mean he's the only judge that done, that's done it. It just means he's the one in the spotlight at the moment. And there's so the idea of like of uh, code of ethics is not new to government. I'm I'm on the U.S. House of Representatives website, and they have a whole page about gifts and guidance. So they say what is a gift, how to value a gift, um, and then receipts for gift, and then um, and then also talking about bribery, illegal gratuities, or thank you gifts. So the idea of reporting gifts in government is not is not a new concept. But it's something where the Supreme Court operates independently from the uh, from the other two branches of the government, in, like it was intended to, um, with the forming of our of our government. And I think this is this is a little bit peculiar because up until this point we haven't seen this level of accepting gifts or this level of extravagant extravagant gifts. And you also have to call into question: um, Are there Ill, any? Is there any quid pro quo for for gift giving? Typically, um, I wouldn't say typically, but unfortunately, sometimes there is. Yeah, you know that's that's been pointed out with at least some of the stuff that he has accepted from certain billionaires. Their companies had um, cases before the court recently after. Um, so, and it's it the the code of ethics that they have written for themselves is based off of the code of ethics that governs other parts of the judiciary like they kind of based it off of what federal judges have and of course like lower judges have have these too so it isn't like a out of the blue suddenly judges need one judges have had them just the supreme court hasn't at least not in writing so that's what kind of makes this a big deal people see this as them acknowledging the criticism that they've gotten and hopefully a step in the right direction um, problem with the code of ethics is that there is no enforcement. There's no enforcement tool. It's just a kind of we won't do that. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, and so it's it's being called toothless in a lot of the media, um, along with like there's just been a lot of opinion pieces. If you if you look if if you, if you even just Google Supreme Court. Um, code of ethics, all you're going to get is opinion pieces and everyone coming on being like, well, there's no enforcement tool. So what can it really do? Um, it's just saying, hey, maybe we'll do this. We'll take it into consideration. But, eh, you know, um, so I think that's that's a significant issue that they're going to face, because if they're trying to regain public opinion to their favor after all of this came out about Justice Thomas, I think that they needed a little more than just a you know absolutely um i'm on a i'm on uh politico right now and there's a like you said an opinion piece um but it's talking about the list of gifts that supreme court justices have received and reported um it's uh, pretty interesting uh john roberts uh received opera tickets um <laughs> Uh, let's see. Alito received a sculpture of a hand um, valued at three thousand um, uh, dollars. Sotomayor received fine art. Uh, Kagan, um, a signed book by Felix Frankfurter. 
uh, Neil Gorsuch, cowboy boots, a fishing rod, and a painting. And the our newest Supreme Court justices, uh, Kavanaugh, um, Amy Coney Barrett, and then uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson, they have not disclosed any gifts, probably because they're so new to the court. Um, but I'm sure that I'm sure that will come because gift giving is is part of their uh, their position. Yeah, and you know the New York Times in their um, kind of rundown of the ethics code wrote, "quote The code laid out over nine pages does not place specific restrictions on gifts, travel, or real estate deals, but it does caution the judges that they should not take part in outside activities that quote." Tracked from the dignity of the justice's office, interfere with the performance of the justice's official duties, reflect adversely on the justice, justice's impartiality, or lead to frequent disqualification. The rules also prohibit justices from allowing, quote, family, social, political, financial, or other relationships to influence official conduct or judgment. The document cites examples of when justices must recuse themselves from the case, including when they have a personal bias or financial interest. However, the, the document, or at least the judges themselves, have also cautioned against recusing themselves from cases because of how few of them there are and the fact that you can't kind of replace a Supreme Court justice. Like if a federal judge recuses themselves from the case, they'll just replace it with another federal judge. You can't do that with the Supreme Court. So in that, I think it's kind of contradictory because they're like, eh, recuse yourself from personal bias, but ooh, maybe you shouldn't. Um, also, that, that what you just read. Um, there is no, there's no definitive line as to this is a gift that you must report. All this said was, do you believe that this gift is going to impair your judgment? And so that's entirely at the discretion of the justices, whether or not they believe it's going to impair their, uh, their judgment to rule according to, um, the, the constitution. So, um, I, I can see where there could be some, some real flaws in that. Yeah, you know, and it's it's like a the 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 justices literally said that they're still trying to figure out how to put the code of ethics into effect. Like so so you wrote this and you're publishing it but you don't know how you're going to do it. Like I I get that they're probably trying to be like, "Oh, look, we're trying to figure this out." But I feel like maybe this is something that They've already waited long enough to do this. Like they've waited over two hundred years to do this. They could they could just take a couple more months to figure this out. You know. So those those are some pretty peculiar gifts. Um, I can definitely see where um, if you're giving the gift of some tickets to a an event that might that might win favor with whoever whoever uh, you're giving them to because hey this this person. Um, this person gave, gave me this, so I'll, I'll think more favorably of them. And I think that's, that's the whole point of trying to, trying to create a mechanism for reporting. And that way it keeps in mind, Hey, like everything is, is, is being disclosed. And if it appears that you are ruling favorably for, uh, for one person, it's going to come under scrutiny. Yeah, you know, just because, like you said, just because Thomas is getting all this attention doesn't mean that the other judges haven't. Like, uh, the New York Times also says that Justice Alito did not report a 2008 trip on a private jet of Paul E. Singer, a hedge fund billionaire who later had cases before the court. This is what I was referencing earlier. Justice Gorsuch did not disclose that the chief executive of a major law firm had bought a vacation property in Colorado that he partly owned. So, like, 
this isn't new. This is something that they've all done, or at least the older judges on the court have done. Okay. It's just a, we're all looking at Thomas right now. And I think that there has been such a, hey, what are you guys doing? Aren't you guys supposed to be like impartial? But the court finally went, oh, maybe we need to actually like do something about that. But the thing that they did is, as literally every opinion piece is calling it, is toothless because it can't do anything. Yeah. And, that, and that's where, that's where they're not going to, they're not going to actually enact anything until, until there's enough noise. Um, and there's been some noise up to this point, which is why they've, they've created this code of ethics, but up until, up until there's more investigative reporting that might reveal more gifts there, I, I, it's, it's going to, unless there's an overseeing, uh, body that is, that is enforcing this code of ethics, you, we can't, we can't trust them to enforce it on themselves. Yeah, you know, I think because the way our branches of government are established to try and kind of limit power on each other, though the Supreme Court is kind of outside of that, like the other branches don't have the same power to check the Supreme Court that the Supreme Court has to check them, yep. that I think the Supreme Court would need to be the ones to impose that that overseeing body on themselves, which right now with this court, I just can't see happening. Well, and, and the, the proof is in the investigative reporting. Uh, yeah. and, and so that, that is, that is proof enough where if, if there are gifts that are not being disclosed and it's drawing uh, quite a bit of attention, that's evidence that there's a serious flaw in their gift reporting, um, procedures. And that then, and that subsequently has the potential to affect their future rulings. You know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if they can build off of this, hopefully, and create something that's actually enforceable, or if it just kind of becomes something to kind of shield themselves with from future criticism. Yeah. Yeah. They say, hey, we already created this code of ethics. So. Yeah, like, we can't, how do we check the power on ourselves? I don't know how to do that. And the other branches can't do that. Look what the Constitution says, you know? So. Ooh, that's really interesting. What if Congress adds an amendment to the Constitution? You would, would need that... two-thirds of the states to ratify that, which, given the current political divide <laughs> in the country, I don't know if that would work. But, but and then that's where, that's where I, I mean, like, if there's enough noise. If there's enough noise, that would be something that I could see Congress people trying to, to say, hey, my constituents want this. And I'm going to I'm going to propose this. Um, all comes down to the power of the vote. Yeah, you know maybe um, I'm not 100 percent certain on how that works because like I, I don't know if that's genuinely something that could be added to the Constitution because it's it's always so finicky about like checking other people like doing things like prohibition or giving women the right to vote or freeing um, enslaved people like that was fine because it affected like average Americans. It wasn't them checking the power of another branch. It was them giving power to the American people. So it's like a, you'd have to, I, that, I think that would get a lot of, con of um, constitutional lawyers, like in a tizzy, they're all coming together, like battling it out. Like, can we do this? Um, so that would be at least a little amusing to watch, but I don't know how successful it would be.
just trying to think of ways that there can be an enforcement mechanism whereby they're not for they're not enforcing it themselves. Yeah, you know, I think it would be it would be really hard to figure out a, a non partial or, or an unbiased way of doing that. Um, so I'm not which is, which is the purpose of the Supreme Court to be yeah to, yeah. to be impartial to just abide by the Constitution. That's the whole premise behind it, and that itself is the reason why there needs to be the mechanism to deter uh, gift giving that can alter a, a ruling. That's why they have mechanisms already in place in other branches of the government for reporting gifts. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess my last point on that is because there's other other um, bodies of the government that already have these procedures in place, to me, this sounds like it's inevitable that it's going to come to the Supreme Court as well uh, because they've been operating uh, independently for so long. And it's if everyone else has, has fallen in line, then I, I think the next step is the Supreme Court as well. You know, I think there's been a lot of criticism against the Supreme Court, not just because of um, the gift giving, but also because of recent rulings and other ways that they're conducting themselves, that I think something has to change if they want to maintain legitimacy. Um, because, you know, these, these institutions only have as much legitimacy as we give them. Um, like, oh my God, what if, what if we all just stopped listening to the Supreme Court? What, what would happen? What's the Supreme Court going to do? Like that Congress is- can stop funding. The president can like, is the commander in chief. He can, he, he controls the troops. What can the Supreme Court do? Bang their gavel a little louder? Like. Yeah, that is a really good point. Yeah. So, but kind of on the topic of um, other branches of government, something else big that happened this week was that <gasps> the House of Representatives actually managed to pass something. Let's all give them a round of applause. They managed to do their jobs. Um, they passed a continuing resolution to fund um, most of the government until, I believe, mid-January. And then um, defense and a couple other things are funded through part of February, or at least the beginning of February, I believe. Um, so that gives us a couple more months to actually work out um, a budget. Yay. Um, but the, the goal of getting it done was one, because um, the, the budget that they put in place a couple weeks ago runs out as of this recording tomorrow, November 17th. So they, they passed it yesterday. I believe the Senate passed it last night or they're going to pass it today uh, and it should be on its way to Biden to sign shortly. Um, so yay, our government's probably not going to shut down. A win for the American people. Um, but the way that Republicans were kind of talking about this in the news, I thought was particularly interesting because with McCart- McCarthy being ousted as speaker, it was directly because with the last continuing resolution, he had gone to Democrats to work. That is exactly what the current speaker did to pass this continuing resolution. Despite the fact that the, that the, the continuing resolution that got passed was originally put on the floor by the Freedom Caucus, inevitably, I think it got reworked so much with the Democrats that it passed with majority Democrat support. Only two Democrats voted against it. And I, part of the Republican Party voted in favor. I'm not 100% sure on the specific numbers, well, but 90, it was mostly Democrats. Yeah, only two, like you said, only two Democrats voted against it and 93 Republicans opposed the bill, which is, that, that's pretty, I think that's, uh, that, to me, that's saying a lot. 93, uh, 93 Republicans 
uh, oppose the, the continuing resolution that their new speaker um, just put forth. Um, yeah, you know, like, like I said, it's so interesting to hear how even the, the, the Republicans that voted against McCarthy that got him ousted are like, yeah, this like isn't what, what we were hoping for, but they're still pointing fingers at McCarthy. They're like, it's not the new speaker's fault that he had to do this. It's because he's he's working with, you know, 10 months of bad leadership under McCarthy that this is what he had to do to get something to pass. So I find that particularly interesting because after it passed yesterday, everyone was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen to the new speaker? Like, are we going to have to go through a whole process again of, of them like ousting this guy because he worked with Democrats? But it seems like despite the number of Republicans that voted against it, they're calm for now. So I think that's particularly interesting and telling about the state of the Republican Party well, right they, now. They have to be calm because they put up such a fight to get rid of uh, Kevin McCarthy. And so this is the this is the new guy that they that they elected into his into place. And so it would be a very bad look to all of a sudden make noise and um, go against this this vote for the continuing resolution. I know I'll know 93 voted against it, but like you said, it's relatively calm right now um, because that would be quite embarrassing for them after all the drama that they went through over the last, like you said, 10 months. Yeah, you know, after passing the bill, they went on recess. Like, they're gone for a couple weeks. Um, <laughs> How convenient. No, but, but, like, in, in their interviews, they were like, yeah, you know, oh, my God, we've been here for 10 weeks. That's, like, so crazy, man. Like, we've been doing all this work for 10 weeks. What? Um, so this is their time to go home, calm down, let off some steam, and then they'll come back um, in a couple of weeks and get back to work. Um, which, you know... Sounds fun for them. Imagine only working 10 weeks and then being able to be like, we're good. That's it, guys. We did it. Um, so this is, I, I think, partially them trying to save face, like you mentioned, because the past few weeks have kind of been a nightmare um, for them. And I think they're standing with the American public. Um, Plus also but, the, yeah. the Republicans did not fare well in this last election. So they need some sort of a win. And I feel like if they if they stay quiet in this, they could count it as a win. They say, hey, we, yeah. avert, we avert a shutdown. If they stay quiet, if they try to move away from the last couple of weeks and hopefully figure out a new budget before a shutdown early in early next year, and hopefully they can save face before the 2024 election, because I... I, I don't know how this election is going to go, but like lately we've seen a lot of losses for Republicans. Like the Republican or the elections that we just had did not go the way that they expected. Um, it wasn't, you know, the red wave that everyone keeps promising that, oh, guys, this next election, this is going to be it. It's going to be the one. Um, they're just, they're not getting that, whether it's lack of voter turnout or because I think they've disen disenchanted a lot of their party because of recent behavior, recent policies that is just turning voters away, that even if they're not willing to vote for Democrats, they're not willing to go out and vote for Republicans either. Yeah, it, it shows the infighting in the party shows that there's not consensus and that that definitely turns off independent voters. And when you turn off the independent voters, as we've seen in elections, uh, you will not win. And so that's that's evident in the last several elections. Um, 
look at 20, let's see, 2020, 2022, and, and 2023 now. Republicans have not been doing well because they have not been garnering support from the independent uh, independent voters. Yeah, or even like the Republicans struggle a lot with getting women voters. Mm-hmm. Um, like that, that's been a big issue for them um, in recent years. So like, hi, we make up half the population. If you're just dis- dis- like, if you're not appealing to half of the voting people, then like, where do you go from there? But, um, you know, with, with that, like it, it was like a, a big reason that people are kind of angry about this uh, budget bill is because it doesn't provide aid to Ukraine, to Israel or to Taiwan. It also doesn't provide anything for the southern border um, and there's no humanitarian aid included in it. So it was kind of it also does not include any cuts to spending. That's a big thing that. Um, the ultra conservatives are mad about. They're like, nah, why? Why didn't you cut spending? Uh, but I think that the speaker actually had a pretty decent response. Like, I like the way he's talked about the bill. I think he actually did a good job, kind of explaining why it went the way that he did. And he was just kind of like, look, we can't do that now. There is no way to pass a budget with the time that we have and actually tackle those issues substan- substantially. So we need to wait. We need to put a pin in it come back to that later and just pass what we can now to get at least enough people to vote this through so the government doesn't shut down. Because like we've said before, the government shut down, shuts down, millions of people will not get things like food stamps, social security, people uh, in government offices won't get paid. Uh, so it, it's a big deal. I mean, this, the continuing resolution is really just a Band-Aid. Um, there's there's an article from The Hill um, it says that trouble looms for Johnson as his fractious House GOP conference as they stare down two funding deadlines. Those two funding deadlines are the ones that, uh, Catherine, that you just talked about with in January and then early February. Um, and then they also need to try to pass the remaining five appropriations bills. Um, so there's still lots of work to do, but the Band-Aid of this continuing resolution just keeps the government open to be able to continue to work on the to work on the the debate with how how to best um, move these bills forward. And, you know, I, it, it can be frustrating to just constantly hear, oh, we're putting a Band-Aid over it and dealing with it later. Oh, we're putting a Band-Aid over it and dealing with it later. But, like, with the government that we have right now, I, I really think that's all we can accomplish at the current moment mm-hmm. because there's so much division within the Republican Party um, because obviously the Democrats are very, very rarely ever going to side with the Republicans. Um, like it's, it's hard to get consensus. So they need to be very careful in what they do and how they push for things and what they're pushing for that. Like, un- unfortunately, um, like putting a bandaid over, it might be the best we can do at least until after the next election. You do a bandaid or pull a fire alarm. <laughs> No, um, the ends sometimes justify the means, <laughs> or at least that's what they're going to tell themselves. So, don't don't pull a fire alarm. That was that was a joke. Yeah, don't do that. That is against the law. Um, <laughs> but I, I think also, kind of, with this talk about the election, there's also been um, 
pretty significant concerns that I've at least seen online regarding the next election, uh, because I think we all know it's just, once again, going to come down to Biden versus Trump. So for a lot of people, you know, a lesser of two evils is still evil, but it is still lesser. So it's really you, you look at you, Catherine, you look at different news sources than I do. Um, I'm, I'm less on social media and looking at traditional news sites. And so I think it speaks to where different, different segments of the population, different generations are gathering the information that they need to vote. And so, so you, you have your perspective from your news sources and then I'm, I'm getting mine, but we're also hearing and seeing different things, which is really, really interesting. Yeah, you know, I'm a chronically online 20-year-old who stares at her phone most hours of the day. So, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> I think our news sources are going to be a little different, especially because I'm on TikTok, you're not. Um, I think I kind of peruse different um, areas of places like Twitter or Instagram that you do. So, obviously, we're seeing different things. Um, and for me, I see a lot of other Gen Z voters um, or young people who are really, really frustrated with the Biden administration right now and don't want to vote for him in the next election. Um, whether that's because of, you know, what's currently going on in Israel-Palestine that has a lot of people very angry and frustrated with the current administration, whether that's with the economy because so many of us are struggling to get jobs even coming out of college, uh, whether that's with student loan debt now that student loans are back to being repaid and we didn't get the debt relief that we were promised. Um, you know, there, there's a lot to be, I think, frustrated about. Um, and that's, that's not good going into an election year for Biden, especially given his age, um, given kind of the way things look domestically and internationally, like we're so polarized that I, I don't know if Biden will be able to bring everyone together to not vote for Trump in the next election, even though he's currently fighting so many different legal battles, um, I don't think that will stop his diehard supporters or even people who, like I said, aren't happy with Biden economics or other things that he's done. They're going to maybe look at Trump at maybe not being a good option, but the better option. Or just not vote at all or even vote third party for um, like uh, Robert Kennedy's running, Marianne Williamson's running. Um, I think Jill Stein put her name in the race Jill recently. Again, she's always in as the Green Party candidate. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think oh, we could see a really divided vote um, if, if the Democrats run Biden again, which I think they need to seriously consider not doing. Well, so there was a there's a. Reuters this week, I would say a fairly, a fairly um, objective news source. They say that 56, 56% of Americans disapprove of the president. They broke this down into lots of different metrics, which I really enjoy. Um, I enjoy reading. 78% of Democrats, all Democrats, approve of the president. 94% of Republicans disapprove. So, I mean, they're there's clearly some some divides there. But if you separate this into age, because this, Catherine, this kind of speaks to um, you and I, age, 56% of 
people under the age of 39, so 18 to 39 year olds, 56%, so over half disapprove, but only 35% approve. So like you said, there's a very, like one third of the young vote approves of the, of, of the president. And I think so that, the youth vote especially is going to be super important for this election. Yep. Um, and, and, and so they, they, um, political parties need to look at that. If the young vote is clearly not in favor of the president, but the but then I think what they're going to make the mistake of looking at the party in general, which is that seventy eight percent of Democrats approve. They're going to look at that and say, okay, that's a win. We're we're pretty we're pretty safe there. But they're gonna I don't feel like they're gonna really take the the age, the age separation of that eighteen to thirty nine year old segment seriously. Yeah, you know, and I think um, eighteen to thirty nine year olds like they want different things out of mm -hmm. the government than older generations do like they don't for, they don't rely on social security and medicare they don't rely on social security and medicare yet um there's you know big pushes for things like um legalizing marijuana um you know like like we mentioned earlier student debt relief or at least some kind of forgiveness or restructuring of the current um student loan program um Things like things like um, equal rights for women are really really important um, to young voters. So I think that there is there's a lot that they need to cover, and I, I worry that they're going to spend too much time kind of looking at older generations and getting them out to vote because I think they feel like with just like a social media marketing team that they'll be able to win over the youth vote, and I don't necessarily think that's going to work. It's that's definitely an uphill battle for 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 social marketing if 35 percent of of the uh the demographic that you're targeting is is in favor which means two-thirds are not in favor of your message that's a that's a big uphill battle and that's in big uphill battles cost a lot of money so we're also going to see this election probably cost him more than last election which was a record-breaking amount of money that was uh that was fundraised and spent yeah, you know, excuse me, like I mentioned earlier, um, like Biden is already the oldest president that we've ever had. How, like looking at another term, I know a lot of people are genuinely concerned because he's in his 80s. Like, I, I don't know about you, like I, like, obviously there's been a lot of discussion about like capping the age limits up how old you can be to run for office because we've, we've kind of seen lately not only with biden but with people like diane feinstein and mitch mcconnell that even though older people should have like the ability to engage in the political process sometimes they may have health issues that affect them and that they maybe not be, may not be able to represent their constituents to the best of their ability so i think that's that's a serious concern with with another biden presidency is how would he be able to keep going for four more years uh, when people are already so critical of the issues he's having now like it feels like every other day someone is sending me like a video of him falling down the stairs or like uh, misspeaking to um, like a reporter or something so I think that's that's another issue that they're going to face is how are they going to market an 80 something year old man 
to all of America when we're, we also have access to things like 24-hour news coverage and social media where videos of him falling are likely to get spread around very quickly. Um, but also, um, like, I know when presidents are already in office, they don't necessarily do the same on-the-ground campaigning. That's just an average um, political candidate would do because they're busy at the White House. You know, they can't go up and down touring the country like he could maybe for the 2020 election or even like people could for the 2016 election when there was no incumbent. But like, even if he could do that, would he be able to? Sure, we've seen him do things like his visit to to Vietnam uh, recently, literally um, yesterday as of this recording, he went out to San Francisco to meet with President Xi Jinping of China. So like he's trying to show us that he is capable of going out and doing the work. But I don't know if that is as effective with the American public as they are trying to make it. And that that was something that I was thinking about as well is the the visit to San Francisco to meet with the uh, to meet with, uh, Xi Jinping from China. Um, that to me does nothing for his reelection efforts. The I don't think that the, his constituents care about going to San Francisco. I, that's not an issue that. That to me, that's completely separate from the issues that we're facing here and that are pressing. Um, if anything, they're probably going to talk about some trade. Uh, they're probably going to talk about artificial intelligence. Um, but those those aren't the key issues that voters are going to be voting on. So actually, what came out of their meeting um, was one: the United States and China are back to working together military-wise, like running like drills together and stuff. I don't know specific details. I only kind of just skimmed the article, um, but it's something like after Nancy Pelosi went to Taiwan last year. Like there's been like little to no contact between China and America because Xi Jinping was angry that Nancy Pelosi went to Taiwan. So this was kind of them reopening lines of dialogue. This was um, them committing to doing stuff like that again. But they also, um, China has made commitments to combating um, fentanyl from China coming to the US. There were also discussions about combating climate change and um, promoting more green energy practices. So there was a, um, a variety of topics discussed. It just I don't know if it's going to hit home with the average American voter who maybe not be as familiar with um, it, like issues with China that we see other than economically that is talked about a lot. Or even things going on in South China to see that are brought up from time to time. But like the average American voter, can they point out the, the South China Sea on a map? Like what do they have to care about something so far away? They're not going to see, like, U.S. Um, interests in the region and why we may be so um, defensive of Taiwan or why we would be even get involved there to begin with. Um, so I, I think there are, like, you, there, there, were some, there were some important things that, of course, they talked about. I just don't know if it's going to be the key issues that, that voters really care about. Because, like you said, the, fent the fentanyl crisis... That is definitely, like like I said, a crisis. But I think Republicans are obviously concerned about the southern border and free flow across the southern border of the fentanyl. So, like, addressing the fentanyl at its manufacturing origin, that that takes care of – well, that's a step in the right direction for that. But you won't get any 
Republican support unless you're unless you're addressing the southern border. Yeah. And in terms of I, when you what you said about military drills, uh, that actually really surprised me. Um, I do I'm not, not see. I'm not hundred percent sure of the specifics. It's just it's something to do with the military, and the military is not my strong point. I will gladly <laughs> admit that that the military and the economy is sometimes when my teeny tiny little girl brain goes, maybe there are some things men are meant to handle. Um, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> that's pretty, pretty funny <laughs> um and then and then of course the of course china um and the u.s have been fierce competitors with artificial intelligence and specifically i mean the whole issue with taiwan is really related to semiconductor chips um and that i think that was probably the main main talking point um that either was the elephant in the room that they were just alluding to, or maybe they actually did get to bluntly speak about semiconductor chips and its effect on their effects with artificial intelligence. Um, Cause I, I know that's a, a booming segment of the technology industry and everyone's trying to move as fast as possible because they, they see the potential in it. Um, right now the U S is, is limiting some companies from selling certain chips to China. Um, but to me, that's more of a deterrence and they're not incentivizing growth here. So, yeah, I feel like so if it, anything, that's what Xi Jinping wanted, wanted to talk to Biden about rather than what Biden wanted to talk to Xi Jinping about. Yeah. So it, it, it doesn't look like anything with military drills together is being done. It's just, they're, they're reopening military communication between the two countries and that. Um, our Secretary of Defense will meet with the Chinese Secretary of Defense once they put a new one into place because the last one was recently dismissed um, and they haven't um, put a successor in yet. So it's a little ominous being dismissed. Yeah, and they didn't provide a reason for it, so... They don't have to. <laughs> yeah. So... Well, so th so that was that was pretty interesting. It's been a, a very interesting week uh, with the judicial branch, which was the Supreme Court, the legislative branch, where we talked about the continuing resolution with the uh, House of Representatives, and then also the the sprint work that the Senate now has to do um, to avert the shutdown. And then also we were able to talk about the executive branch with uh, Biden's um, upcoming hurdles with his reelection efforts. Yeah, so I think we've been able to cover a lot of ground. Um, and before we wrap it up, I think we should hear a little bit more about our coloring book and Giving Tuesday. Yes. So we have the same coloring book that we send to kids all around the world. It's on Amazon right now. It's a coloring book that has, I think, 30 different images of animals, plus interesting facts about those animals. It's a great way for kids to be able to learn more and to draw. And you can continue to support us through purchasing that book on Amazon.com. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And for the month of November, we have a really great promotion going on where any donation of $50, you receive a free mug. And that's a mug with Global Education Connection on it. And it's, it's, a, it's a really nice mug, actually. And if you donate 75, you actually get the mug and a clear tote. This clear tote you can take to concerts. Um, certain venues are now requiring people to have clear bags. So this will definitely be something that is useful and you can enjoy your coffee as well. So if you'd like to support the work that we do, you can donate the 50 and get the free mug, the 75 and get the, uh, the mug and the tote, um, or, or less if you'd like. Any, any donation is much appreciated. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you all so much.
I think this is where we're going to wrap it up for today. So thank you all so much for listening. This has been GEC Important Talks, hosted by the team at Global Education Connection. You can find us at our website, www.globaleducationconnection.org, to learn more about who we are, what we do, and how else you can best support us. Um, you can also find us on all social media platforms. So thank you again for listening, and we hope to have you back next week. Bye. Bye.